Today we are closing out our sermon series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so we're going to be in the last chapter of that book today. And so this morning, unlike most mornings, I have a title for my, for my sermon. <laughs> uh, and it's called, I Need You to Survive. Uh, see, look at that. Amen. Amen. So I have to say as a side note, um, I preached at uh, um, North Park Seminary on Thursday, maybe two Thursdays ago or last Thursday. You know how time goes. Um, but I had a title for that one, too. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, it's two in, like, two in a row. So it's not a part of the sermon. Okay, so the, the title is I Need You to Survive. Um, and if you have been coming to our church for any amount of time, then you may remember or know or have experienced our love-hate relationship with the song that bears the same name. Um, this is a song that usually as a congregation, uh, you know, when our worship leaders, you know, lead us in this, we stand and they will almost always direct us to look at one another. And it is the most hilarious thing to watch as people face each other and do everything they can not to actually look at each other, like, looking off to the side at people's ears. Like we, we, we struggle with this one. Um, because I think the sentiment, this idea that I need you to survive, it kind of, it, it feels to some, not to me, because I love that song, but it feels to some corny or just awkward. Like we don't really know how to connect with people in that way. But the title of this sermon is I Need You to Survive because if you take nothing else away from this sermon, what I want you to walk away knowing is that we, in fact, need each other to survive. Not theoretically. It's not like a little cheesy sentiment. I need you in order to live out this Christian life. You need me in order to live out this Christian life. We actually need each other to survive. And so let's go ahead and get into the text. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's towards the back of the Bible. Um, And we're going to be reading verses 12 all the way to the end of the chapter. And we haven't done this in a long time, but when you get there, I'm going to invite you to stand for um, the word. And I'm also going to invite you to read with me um, the passage that comes up. uh, Amen is there. So yes, we will read together the text. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning with verse 12, it reads, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody is that wrong or wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 
Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Be all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of God. Amen. You can have a seat. So this morning to flesh out um, this passage, we're going to actually start at the end of the verses or the chapter. So in verse 23, Paul um, is giving his, his goodbyes, his salutations, and he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this way, I think we've kind of come full circle to the heart of this letter. Paul wrote to the first, well, he didn't write to the first Thessalonian church because that wasn't a thing. He wrote to the Thessalonian church um, because he was, if we remember from the beginning, he was so excited about this community. This is a community who he hadn't been able to stay with long. He was hoping that maybe something would hold. And not only had it held, but they are being faithful to what God has called them to. He was excited. He is rejoicing over this community. And I think that when we find ourselves at the end, what we see in his greeting is the idea that this is for the community. Paul saw a group of people, he saw a church that was living out their sanctification. They were becoming the people God had called them to be. And so he writes this letter to urge them to keep going strong in the faith, the whole community. See, often in Paul's letters, not always, but in most of them, in his final greetings, he has a list of people to, you know, say special things to, right? So, you know, greet Prisca and, and Aquila, who are mighty warriors in the Lord. That is, don't, that's not a direct quote, but something along those lines, right? Like, see, he has a, a group of people who he will call out to say, give, give these people my special greeting. But here he says, greet everyone, every brother and sister with a holy kiss. Make sure that this letter gets read to all the brothers and sisters. This is a message for the body. This is a message for the community, and it is a message about sanctification. You, Thessalonian church, you, new community church, you have been living faithfully in God. Keep on in that good work. In short, I think that we can see from these last verses something that um, is important. Our sanctification is this kind of both and thing. It's already happened. We have been sanctified and yet we are working that thing out. Our sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit that requires vulnerability and is worked out in the context of Christian community. We need each other to survive. God's promise that the good work he began in us, he will bring to completion. He does that in the context of community. And this becomes really, 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 really important because Paul tells the people in these last verses to do things that sound impossible, so much so that we just kind of write it off. When was the last time you thought seriously about praying without ceasing? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. So let's, let's go ahead and look at some of these, um, these commands. In verse 14, Paul tells the people, 
And he ur- and we urge you, brothers and sisters, li- live, uh, excuse me, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So the word that's translated as idle, and, and, and I'm gonna, there's going to be multiple words. I'm going to tell you the, what they have translated, the deeper meaning. I don't normally do this, but in the case of this passage, I think it's important. The word that gets translated as idle, we normally take it as lazy. And this would make sense, right? Because we, we've learned in other texts in, um, in thir- First Thessalonians that Paul was absolutely serious about the people working. This was one of the ways, as Pastor David taught us, that they were to live peaceably in the community that they were a part of. But this word doesn't necessarily only mean lazy. It, it carries with it um, a, a connotation of also ethical, political misconduct, Moral misconduct. Far from just don't be lazy, go out and work. This is way, way deeper or can be interpreted way, way more deeply. Warn those who are morally or politically um, or ethically corrupt. Now, in our current context, that ought to strike you. And I hope that it will strike you in two ways. It's easy for us as we sit in here, all, you know, holy and and righteous and socially justice-minded, to believe that what this is a call for us to do is make sure we help our just wayward brothers and sisters understand how to live better, right? Make sure that we help those MAGA hat-wearing people understand what it really means to serve God. That surely must be pointing to them. Maybe it is. But I think... That for the context of this, um, this community, that maybe it means that we need to look at each other. Maybe it means that we ought to think about our own politics, our own moral and ethical misconduct. So this past week, and I, I only share this because whenever I'm preparing for a sermon, there, and, and the Holy Spirit leads me to conversations that, you know, hit me in the middle, I think, well, maybe, maybe I should include that, so I'm going to include it. I met with Pastor David, and we were talking, and he shared with me um, some information from a book that he was reading about um, some statistics about abortion. Now, I will tell you that in my own personal leanings, I am one who probably has a position that many of you may have. I personally think abortion is wrong, but I am uncomfortable with enforcing my anthropology on other people, right? That's my, that's my general context. I would never think about voting for someone based on their position on abortion. You may not be in that boat, but that's being transparent. But when I was talking to him and he shared some of the statistics, one that struck me and I have not been able to shake, that 90% of babies that have Down syndrome are aborted. That, that hit me in a way that I couldn't just say, oh, you know, well, whatever. You know, it's what I, I don't want to impose my views on someone else. And the thing that the Holy Spirit started stirring into me is maybe there have been some moments in my life where I should have listened to some of my brothers and sisters who are on a completely different political spectrum than I am. Maybe, just maybe, there's some things that our, our MAGA hat wearing... <laughs> brothers and sisters in the Lord could say to us that we need to hear and be shaped by. Now that's hard. It's hard for me. It may be hard for you. 
But I think that if we really believe this thing to be true and if we need each other to survive and if the we is not just the people in the four walls of this building right now or the people who think like you, the people who share the common politics as you, if none of us are God and so perhaps maybe we don't always get it right 100% of the time, then you and I need to have the humility to concede that there may be an opinion out there that is radically different than yours that the Holy Spirit might want to use to inform the way you understand the world. Is that, is that fair? Maybe. Just maybe. Far from just being about laziness, this passage calls all of us to hold each other to account. I study multiracial churches, and one of the things that we uh, understand about these kinds of churches is that, especially in a church that looks like ours, which is really, really racially and ethnically diverse, often they are very educationally, uh, socioeconomically homogenous, the same. Most of us in this room have a college degree. Probably most of us have more than a college degree or are working on it. Most of us share a similar socioeconomic status. Not all the same. I don't want to pretend that we're all in the same place and none of us are struggling financially, but most of us probably are more similar when it comes to those kinds of statistics and we are different. And so it's easy to believe when we sit in a place like this and we look at people who are so very different, it's easy for us to think that, oh, we have accomplished this great amount of difference. But in some ways, we are very much thinking in the same ways. We are breathing the same air. We have constructed and are living in the same bubble. And so this passage challenges, challenges us to look more broadly at the body of Christ and to recognize that maybe, just maybe, people who think dramatically differently than you think about the world have something to say to you that is of value. Because if we're all honest, we are hoping that those people will listen to us and see that we have something to say that is of value. Amen. I need you to survive. Getting back to these verses, um, the word that, that Paul or that we have translated as disheartened, it can also mean fearful, lacking in confidence, despondent, and inadequate. And finally, lastly, the word translated as weak can involve moral temptation, spiritual shortcomings, physical weakness, or economic need. That's a whole lot for weak. Like just one look, we got one word in our little Bible, weak. Moral temptation, spiritual shortcoming, spiritual weakness, and economic need. So if we put all this together, we could read verse 14, we could restate it in this way. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who have questionable political, ethical, and moral, moral conduct. Encourage those who are fearful and lacking in confidence. Help those who are dealing with temptation or spiritual shortcomings, as well as those who are weak or who have financial need. And on top of all this, maybe because of all this, be patient with everyone. So if you thought verse 14, the way it read in your little Bible, was challenging, that's a lot more challenging. This is calling us to hold each other, all of each other, to bear with one another, all of one another. 
be patient with everyone. Of course, we have to be patient with everyone because if we take these verses seriously, we are all struggling in many, many ways. There's a whole lot in a community that might need to be held. And so we have to be patient with everyone. You never know what someone is going through. You don't know what is happening in their life. And so when they snap off or pop off, we have to be patient with everyone. There's a whole lot going on in the body of Christ. And Paul says, be patient with everyone. And not just those of you in the four walls of this room, be patient with everyone. Now, to be clear, Paul, when when talking about being patient with everyone is absolutely, you know, we prioritize those who I hope you can be patient first with the person sitting next to you, but be patient with every single person, even those who are not fellow believers, because we never know where other people are. And the patience that Paul is talking about is not just um, toleration. This is the same patience that he talks about as being the fruit of the spirit. This is the same patience that God extends towards us. This is a deep sense of bearing with one another. Be patient with each other. Hold each other. Bear with one another. Paul is speaking about a deep sense of patience. A patience that is rooted in an understanding that God has extended grace over and over and over again towards us. And a patience that is rooted in a deep understanding of our own failings. I think this last point is really important. So in in both Matthew and in Luke, um, we have accounts of Jesus talking to the people and telling them, you know, don't be so quick to pay attention to to the speck in your neighbor's eye, right? And then overlook the plank that's in your own eye. This is absolutely a a part of our sinful nature. It's so much easier for us to look at somebody else and see how they are wrong, see where they messed up. And we could be literally in the process of doing the same thing and not not see it. it, We miss it completely. And so this leads us often to being judgmental and hypocritical. But I think there's a flip side to this. See, when Paul says be patient with everyone, we're a part of the everyone. Be patient with yourself. See, if you're like me, then you're not the one that's so much focused on planks, you know, or specks in other folks' eye. Not only are you aware of the plank in your own eye, you are deeply and profoundly aware of every microscopic particle in your own eye. You see stuff in your eyes that other people are like, I, I, I promise you there's, there's nothing there. You are constantly obsessing over the specks, the particles, the minute things in your life that are wrong. If you are like me, you spend a lot of time, instead of basking in God's grace, living in shame and guilt over the mess in your life and trying to fix yourself in your own strength. See, far from being so focused on other people, we are so focused on our own mess that we cannot receive God's grace. And so it becomes almost impossible to be patient with other people who don't seem to care at all about the fact that there's like planks beaming out. Like, how don't you see that in yourself? I spend all my life looking at dust in my own eye. How do you not see the, right? 
it becomes impossible. It becomes so difficult to be patient with other people because we have no patience for ourselves. We are called to be patient with everyone, our brothers and our sisters. And we are called to be patient and gracious towards ourselves because God so loved us, us, that he gave his only begotten son. We are called to be patient with everyone and you and I are a part of that everyone. I think that this becomes really, really important for the other part of that sanctification um, equation that I gave out, right? It required, happens in the midst of community, but it requires vulnerability because here's the thing. How can we bear with one another if we have no idea what one another are going through? And too often you and I don't want to say anything about what we're struggling with because we walk around carrying shame that we're not supposed to carry. Because we walk around burdened by shame that was nailed to a cross. And so instead of being able to say, look, I need you right now to pray for me because I am going through and I don't really know how this thing is going to end. We walk around trying to fix ourselves and make it happen and I'm just going to pray real hard and it'll be okay. I need you to survive. I need to be able to share who I am with you so that you can bear with me and remind me of who God is. And I need you to be able to share what you're really going through so that I can bear with you and I can remind you of who God is. And so then Paul gets to some other equally, if not more, difficult uh, commands. He tells the people to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, or in our translation, um, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if that is not confirmation to you that this is to a body of believers and not just an individual, I don't know what is. So when Paul says to rejoice always, just as clarification, he's not saying be happy all the time, right? He's not saying walk around and no matter what, like, it's okay, I'm so happy. Like, that's not what he's saying. Rejoice always, it's a posture, it's an orientation of, of joyfulness towards God, expressing our joy about God, even when things are not good and you are not happy. This is not a Pollyanna um, command. And when he tells the people to to give thanks in all circumstances, he is not saying be thankful for all circumstances. And there's a big difference there. It's right and it is good for us to look at our circumstances. It is right and it is good for us to look at our world and say that is wrong. That is unjust. So it's not about, oh, I'm so thankful that I lost my job. Nope, you don't have to do that. Be thankful in all circumstances is a reminder to us to in all things believe that God is in fact working for our good. As Pastor David reminded us or taught us last week, this this command to be thankful in all things is a reminder to believe that in every circumstance, in every situation, the truth of the gospel is actually greater. That God is actually stronger. And on a side note, I think that um, that's probably why pray pray without ceasing came before be thankful in all circumstances because here's the thing 
if, if prayer is, is a posture, if it's, if it's me aligning myself with God and allowing the Holy Spirit to align my heart with his heart, right? I need that in order to look at my circumstances and see God's hand on it. Because sometimes my circumstances might look like, what now what? So, so you're you going to need some prayer. But if you spend 95% of your life in prayer, if you become a, a monk and all you do all day except for sleep is pray, if you get to a point where when you sleep even, you're dreaming about prayers, if you spent 100% of your life's energy in prayer, I assure you, you would still not be able to be thankful at all times. You would not be able to rejoice always all by yourself. You need a community to help you do this. There will be times in my life where I will need you to remind me that God is good. There will be times in my life where I will need you to look at my circumstance that I am completely lost inside of and say, I see something on the other end. There are going to be times in my life where I will need you to be praying me through. This is not a word for an individual person. If this letter was intended to be a mandate for how you and I ought to approach our individual Christian lives and our relationships with the Lord, Paul might as well say, and please, at all times, weave straw into gold. There's your ruffled still skin metaphor. It would be just as likely to happen as him telling you as an individual, always be thankful at all times. Rejoice always. Pray always. I need you to survive means that I need you. This is a body. I need you to help me walk this life. God is faithful and he will bring to completion the good work that he has begun in me. And that will happen when you are reminding me of who I am. When I can't see my way out and you can stand alongside me and say, I'm going to walk with you on this one. When I am so down, when I am so lost, when the darkness has gotten so thick in my own life that I can't put more than one word together to pray, that happens when you walk alongside me and say, but I will carry you right now. You don't have faith, but I have faith for you. You don't believe, but I can walk alongside you and believe with you. I need you to survive. Paul is saying to this church in Thessalonica, he is saying to us through history, he is saying, you all need one another. As a body, you all ought to rejoice always. As a body, you pray without ceasing. As a body, you are thankful at all times. Not that each one of you will be thankful at all times, but somebody ought to be able to be. And so to, to close, when I was thinking about the, the title of this, I need you to survive. Normally when I, when I um, say this, um, the way that I have always interpreted it is um, I need you to, like, I, in order for me to survive, I need you. And that's absolutely what I hope you walk away with. In order for you to survive, you need me. But here's another part of it, and, and this hit me um, when I was sort of studying for this. I also need for you to be okay. I, I need to be invested in your well-being and your wholeness. See, I, I know that God is working sanctification in me, and, and I know he's working it in you, and I, I need you to live into the promise that God has for you. See, this is, this is not selfish, right? It's not about just me. For me to be okay, I need you, so I hope you're okay. No, I, I deeply need 
you to be all that God has called you to be. I need you to know how good God is. I need you to know how dope you are because God made you in his image. I need you to survive. You and I need to be committed to each other's survival. We need to be committed to each other's well-being. We need to be committed to each other's thriving. We need each other to survive. And if we can understand that this is not just a message for people who look like you, think like you, live like you. If we took this to mean that as the whole body, the church universal, we need each other to survive. We need to be invested in each other's wholeness and well-being. How powerful would that be in this world? Because see, then you can't just cut off people who say things you don't like. You can't just dismiss them because oh, well, I don't know what kind of Christianity that is. Well, no, if they confess Jesus is Lord, then we got to deal with it. That's your brother. That's your sister. We need each other to survive. And so you and I need to be willing to surrender to one another, not just for our own well-being, but for the well-being of the other. You and I need to be willing to pray for, to be faithful with, to walk alongside. We need to be willing to give all of who we are for the body that God so loved. Because we serve a God who gave all of who he was, all of who he is for our survival. And he calls us to love one another as Christ loved the church. You and I have all that we need to live faithful lives we have been invested with the Holy Spirit and we have been implanted in a body, in a community of people, of brothers and of sisters who can walk alongside of us and remind us of who God is and who we are when we lose sight. And so this morning, we're going to prepare to take communion. And when we take communion this morning, we get to be reminded once again as we are often reminded, but I hope in a way that is palpable today, that we serve a God who died for us in order to make us one. Our reality, the gospel, the good news is that prior to Christ, we were not one. We were divided. And Jesus said, I desire to be in fellowship with you. And not just that, I desire you all to be in fellowship with one another. And he tore down the dividing walls. And so you and I have been made one in Christ Jesus. And so when we take communion, we're not just eating bread and that tastes really, really good, by the way. We're not just dipping it in some grape juice, which amazingly makes the bread taste like so much better. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little hungry. <laughs> but we're, not, we're, not, we're not just doing these like this. Is, it, it, it has deep meaning and significance. We are taking into ourselves the body and the blood of Jesus. And we are being reminded that we have been united not only to the Father, but to one another. We absolutely need each other to survive. We're a body. And if there's any part of the body that is sick or disease that is hurting, it must be tended to in order for the body to be healthy. And so I pray that that will be, um, that that will be a sweet taste in your mouth, a 
sweet aroma in your nostrils and a sweet reminder to your soul and to your spirit this morning. Amen.